It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. Adams is gone, and so the big trade is dropped. Welcome, everyone, to Third Down Gamble. Don Charvin, along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Lots of news off the field, given that there were only three games last week. We've had a lot of stories come out of Winnipeg, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, and Hamilton. Did I miss anybody? It Calgary's probably been the quietest of the bunch. It it has been amazing this last, uh, I would say, 96 hours. It sure has. I think teams that are in playoff spots now are looking to finalize some things to get their team in order and make that playoff push. Teams that are on the outside looking in are maybe evaluating the talent they have and what they need to do to improve for next year. So as you mentioned, a lot happening. There has been transactions left and right and players coming off the injured reserve, players on the injured reserve, and finally some kicking help coming to Winnipeg. <laughs> been a long time coming, hey? It has, sure has. <laughs> well, the cavalry has not arrived in Winnipeg as of yet, so let's just hold our uh, thoughts on that. The Elks trade uh, quarterback Trevor Harris to the Alouettes. Defensive end Antonio Simmons is sent back to Edmonton. It's not often that you see a quarterback for a defensive end in the Canadian Football League, but it was in this case a need-need type of situation. Each team hoping to get what they want from the trade. Uh, Harris admitting finally that he has got his vaccine, which was a big source of speculation. So that is good because that gives him the chance to travel. The question is, if you're the Montreal Alouettes, what do you want to see out of Trevor Harris? He can't start there because he doesn't know the offense. You're paying a lot of money because he's under contract through 2022. What do you do with him? Well, watching Matthew Schultz last week, I think he had a, a great first game uh, with them this year as a starter. So I think that they're going to be comfortable moving ahead while Trevor Harris takes a few weeks to figure things out. I think in, in the best case, they're probably taking a look at Trevor Harris in Montreal to be the guy who comes in, much like Zach Caleros did last year, to try to make them go through the playoff push at this point of the year. I, I agree with you on that one, Pat. I think Montreal had to look at where they are in the standings, what to do moving forward with the loss of Vernon Adams. They looked at Trevor Harris as their best option going forward to kind of get them into that playoff spot and, and see what they can do. They've got a colossal game against Toronto coming up this week, which we will detail in a, a few minutes. I do like your wording there, Don, in terms of being a, a backup at this point, because that's what Harris has to be while he learns the offense. But he is a veteran presence that's going to be able to also, I think, help support Matthew Schultz as he steps in to the starting role for the next few weeks until Harris feels comfortable with his offense. Right now, Toronto is in the driver's seat, but but they're right there with Hamilton nipping at their heels as well. So if they want to get a, a second place game, which is going to be good for an organization, you can make some money. They've got to, you know, in this case, they've, they've invested a little bit and they didn't lose a lot in the fact that they're giving up one defensive lineman. It's a one-for-one one trade without any futures. Losing a player of Vernon Adams' caliber has to hurt regardless regardless of the time of year and who the backup is my guess is montreal looked at this and thought we have 
BJ Cunningham, we have Eugene Lewis, we have Jake Wenicke on that offense right now. We need somebody that can use those weapons and get them the ball. Trevor Harris has put up yards in the past and, and in a lot of games this season even put up a lot of yards, was struggling to find the end zone at times. But now he's got touchdown Jake possibly catching the ball. Once he gets up to speed on that offense, I think it might be a really good fit uh, for Trevor Harris to come in there. He could be that Zach Kolaris from 2019 that comes into a team in an emergency situation, learns the system and, and leads them to success. Matthew Shields is a capable backup at this point, but I think that's where their, their focus is, is to eventually get Trevor Harris as the starter before the end of the season. My question is, does Harris become a rental? Vernon Adams from ownership down has been seen as the franchise quarterback when he's healthy for 2022. What do you do with Trevor Harris? You can't pay two salaries at that rate under the salary cap and expect to have room for other players. One of them has got to go or one of them has got to be renegotiated down. I would say Harris in this universe. Depending on how the season plays out, I think that uh, there's going to be options for Montreal to load Harris or a different quarterback across to another team. Right now, I'd say Ottawa. Uh, we, we see that their situation with the quarterbacks that they have right now hasn't really worked out. So they're going to need maybe a veteran presence. That remains to be seen. For right now, I think you've got to look at this not for what it brings in the future, but for what it's going to allow the team to do at this point in time. And for me, that is compete for playoffs and have a good shot going in with a veteran presence who, uh, unlike Vernon Adams, we've said before, he's a gunslinger. You can live and buy it by Vernon Adams. I think Harris should be able to control the ball a little bit more once he has an understanding of the nuances of the offense. But if there's been a knock against Trevor Harris is that his stats are like a sine wave. He's so inconsistent. If he could level that, I think he would be far better for the Alouettes. But you cannot live with a guy that's going to be lights out in the semifinal and then poop the bed in the final. I agree with you 100%, Don. But in this case, I do believe that, that you're taking a look at having a quarterback like Harris who can come in and if he's in the right situation in the right time, much like Caleros who was struggling in Saskatchewan after coming from an outstanding 2015 season back in Hamilton, when he came into the right situation in Winnipeg, now he looks fantastic. So if Harris has the right pieces around him and can find that consistency, this could be a great move for Montreal. Danny Makocha and Kahari Jones are going to have to make a decision after this season. There's no bones about it. They have to determine what direction they want to go. Vernon Adams is substantially younger than Trevor Harris, and I think that plays into his favor as well. Um, it will certainly be interesting to see what they do, and I guess it's a good problem to have. If you've got two capable starters, much like the situation in Hamilton, now granted, Dane Evans is a lot less money than Jeremiah Mazzoli, so it's less of a head-to-head -head situation, but it's a good problem to have when you've got two elite quarterbacks or two very capable starting quarterbacks and you have to make the decision of what works best for your team. If there was one question mark in Winnipeg, it was the kicking game. Ellie Murtado is getting better. The Blue Bombers are not going to wait to see if he becomes the consummate kicker that they need. So they went out and made a trade, completed one with the British Columbia Lions to get Sergio Castillo. They also signed free agent Gabriel Ferrero, who had happened to have been in Rough Rider camp this year. They are pulling out all the stops to shore up the one thing that they think is still a liability. You saw the lack of confidence in the last game. They were punting on what could have been about a 51-yard field goal that would have pulled them ahead by two scores. Later on in the game, 
Ali Mortada had a chance to again make a field goal to clinch the game, missed that one. So granted, he was four for five in that game. He made all of his converts, but when it came to crunch time, there was a lack of faith in his ability. And if that if there's one thing that the fans and media in Winnipeg have been screaming about all year is we have a dominant team right now. We can't mess this up by not having somebody we can trust to make a clutch field goal. And that was the situation Winnipeg was in. They went out, they got a guy who started his career in Winnipeg, I think only didn't stick with the Bombers because they happened upon somebody by the name of Justin Medlock who came into town and Sergio Castillo was on the outside looking in in that situation. He's come full circle. He had a, a taste of things in the NFL and he's on his way back to Winnipeg now. And I think that instills a lot of confidence for the Bombers and, and they're going to have a guy that they can trust to trot out there with a the game on the line. Hamilton Tiger Cats also take quarterback Dane Evans off the six game injured list. That's huge news. We saw him pregame last time the Tiger Cats played, going out and checking the ball around. You know, I think in both cases, it's always good to have someone who can potentially step in and and challenge a starter. You want to have good players in your backups, and that's going to happen in the Blue Bombers camp with their kickers. There's going to be a strong competition for that position, and I think it should happen in Hamilton as well. You want these two quarterbacks to go out week after week. They could both start. And if someone struggles, you've got someone you can step in right away. So it's going to be interesting to see how this settles out because I do think the coach again has to at some point say this is our guy this is who we're going with and with Dane Evans coming back you wonder is it going to be Evans or Mazzoli still let's get to the football the Blue Bombers go into Edmonton announced crowd of 24-276 and the Blue Bombers do not cover the spread and win 26-16 Winnipeg didn't look great on offense that night field goal kicking aside they struggled to get the ball into the end zone most costly of all their plays was a dump pass to their running back Andrew Harris and he somehow tweaks his knee as he goes in to get the major score on their first touchdown and now he may be doubtful that's a huge loss for the Bombers losing Andrew Harris I was very impressed with Brady Oliveira stepping in once again though and taking over carrying the ball 16 carries and 105 yards so if they can keep him going it, it looks great um, on top of losing Andrew Harris in this game there was a glaring hole on that offensive line with Demarcus Hardrick out as well you saw they had to move some guys around have a new starter on that offensive line and it did not look the same Zach Kolaris was under pressure a lot during the game he got knocked down several times and the sooner they get Hardrick back, the better. I think at this point, it might be even more of a devastating loss than Andrew Harris. I, I absolutely agree, Heath. I think this offensive line has been their strength throughout the year. I think any running back would look pretty darn good behind this line, to be honest. And, and I think Oliver is going to, if Harris cannot go this week, Oliver is going to be a, a great opportunity to uh, continue to run. I, I would probably, on an over-under, pick that he's going to at least hit 80 yards again. Calaris goes 15 of 24 for 210 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Taylor Cornelius, his counterpart for the Elk, 17 of 29 for 187 and one touchdown. Edmonton had a chance in this football game to flip the field or maybe even score. With the game tied at 16, Claris tries a pass for Darvin Adams. Aaron Grimes 
seems to be the only person in the area. He has the ball in his mitts and puts it to the ground. If Grimes catches that ball, minimally he's going to go 25 to 30 yards down the field, and from midfield, that's going to put them at the Winnipeg 25. He may even score on the play. That could have changed everything about that football game. When there's a play like that, the first thing that comes to mind is, and that's why he's playing defense. We, we saw the same thing happen to Winnipeg on the next possession of Edmonton, and, and a, a Winnipeg defensive back had one very catchable interception that he dropped as well. So these guys have all the speed and all the athleticism in the world, but sometimes grabbing onto that ball just doesn't quite work out for them. One, one stat that jumps out again is now through 10 games, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have surrendered exactly six points in the fourth quarter. Twice they've given up a field goal, and in eight games they have kept the opposition off the scoreboard in the fourth quarter. Just to get back to the Grimes drop, Winnipeg hits uh, Rashid Bailey on the very next play, and three plays later they hit him again for a touchdown. Seven points one way or seven points the other way. That turned the game, that pretty much put Winnipeg in control. The Bombers are starting to show that they're vulnerable, and again, it's the one area I thought that maybe at the beginning of the season they would struggle with, and that was their offense. Just wonder now that if teams are starting to figure this out. Edmonton had four sacks in Claris. Now, granted, missing a, a right tackle is going to hurt you at the best of times, but they showed that they could play with the Blue Bombers' offense. The Edmonton defense acquitted themselves well. Heath spoke to this earlier, the line being a big factor, but, but we also have to remember that Andrew Harris, we've spoken many times, is almost like a lineman out there and can block as well. So Edmonton, uh, hats off to their defense. They looked lights out in that game. Once they sensed a weakness, they, they obviously schemed towards it. Their defensive play calling was outstanding to keep pressure on Caleros. And he looked average, honestly, for the, the first three quarters. Uh, hats off for Edmonton staying that long. But we've always seen, as, as Heath, you alluded to, their defense seems to step it up. And they did once again in the fourth quarter in Winnipeg. And they shut the door on Edmonton. Yes, if they could have taken that one, I think you're right, Don. It could have been a turning point. Didn't happen. So therefore, at that point, they clamped down and it was game over. On Saturday, the Alouettes have their return match against the Red Blacks in Ottawa. And again, the rains did come in Ottawa. It's the third time this season that it has poured rain in the middle of a Red Blacks game at home. Montreal, with Matthew Schiltz taking the reins, wins the game 27-16 and looked good doing it. Caleb Evans, for the first time that I've noticed, looked frustrated as a quarterback of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Most notably, a really brutal interception in the end zone. We spoke to this in previous weeks, but once again, this Ottawa offensive line giving up 10 sacks in the course of a game, I found that Evans was throwing off his back foot all the time. And that is frustrating for a rookie. He's got to have some time to make some of the reads and go through progressions. And certainly he didn't have that. He threw up some rookie mistakes in this game, but given some time, he still has the ability to, to come out and be at least a good quarterback in this league if he can find some time to actually set up and go through his progressions and make the reads he needs to. He didn't have that this game. Matthew Schiltz goes 24, 21 of 34 for 281 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Jake Weineke, who in the first quarter dropped a sure touchdown pass because he was peeking at the back of the end zone to make sure he was going to be in, bobbled the ball and never caught it, made an unbelievable touchdown catch in the second quarter with two red blacks hanging all over him. 
Caleb Evans goes 12 of 23, 145, and three interceptions, one touchdown pass. And Taron Christian, and I really feel bad for him, two of six for 20 yards, but of course he was carried off the field with what appeared to be a broken ankle or lower leg. A couple of key injuries for Ottawa in this game. As you mentioned, Taron Christian as well. Devontae Dedman came off limping, and that is going to be a huge loss. He not only has been working his way into the offense more lately, but the punt returns and the kickoff returns have given Ottawa a chance. So to lose somebody of that caliber is going to be a really tough hole to fill. Because he was the one that actually flipped the field and got them in close to the other end zone with his kick returns. It's a sprain of an ankle. I think he can probably come back from that. But for the Alouettes, it's another big win. And of course, as we mentioned at the outset, they sweep Ottawa in this set. Lewis Ward, bright spot for the uh, Red Blacks, three of three in field goal kicking. The guy is around 90% on the season again. He is just so steady back there. And in that weather, at the end of the first half, he comes on, kicks a 44-yarder in the driving rain right down the middle. And that consistency he has shown his entire career so far. I haven't seen the leg consistently hitting 50 55 yarders, that's not his game. Inside of 45 yards, if he's got a good look at it, it seems like it's going through the uprights. The late game on Saturday, the Calgary Stampeders were in Vancouver to play the BC Lions. The game was close in the first quarter, 7-6 to six for Calgary, and then the wheels started to come off for the BC offense. Mike Riley started running for his life. Mistakes started to happen, and the Stampeders then took over. And a huge kickoff return to start the second half. Scoring a touchdown for Calgary really seemed to put them on a roll, and they went on to a 39-10 to win over the Lions. Yeah, in this game, we've talked before about BC not having a great offensive line, and it showed up again. You're right, he was running for his life. Uh, Riley certainly seemed off. And, and the other thing that I don't think is helping him at all is the play calling. You're trying to establish any kind of running game and you're having your, your one running back run six times in the course of a game. That's extremely limiting. So the defense can then just pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. And they certainly did that all night long. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem to be a threat of BC running the ball. Again, they totaled 70 yards rushing in this game. 21 of that came from Nathan Rourke when he came in in relief of Michael Riley. Take him out of the mix and you're down to 50 yards rushing in this game. Defensive lines and linebackers are keying on that now and realizing that there is no threat of a run and it makes it that much tougher for those receiver weapons that BC does possess. They don't have that chance to get open and the defensive line can just light up and send the house at Michael Riley and it's starting to to show the success of doing that against this BC Lions team. Looks like Calgary's got a kick returner again, Rock Thomas, of course, the guy with the 101-yarder to start the second half. Jonathan Moxie takes it to the house for Calgary later in the fourth quarter. Calgary had it working in all phases. Here's just something to think about. Since Jameer Thurman has joined the football team, he played the back half of the weekend series on Labor Day versus Edmonton. Calgary going into that game were 1-4. They are now 4-1 with him in the lineup. 
he's been outstanding. And, and the other person that I think has really started to grow is, is Sankey. You see a linebacker who's stepping up and, and making plays. In fact, I believe he's leading the league in tackles right now. The defense really seems to be building on that. They seem to be gathering to the ball. So I think you're right. The addition of Thurman and the emergence of Sankey have, have definitely helped this defense step forward. And- to your point, Pat, Darnell Sankey had nine tackles in that game against BC. And once again, Bo Levi Mitchell didn't hit the 300-yard passing mark. It still has eluded him so far this season. But when the defense starts to step, step up, it's a similar result to what you're seeing in Winnipeg. The offense doesn't need to be that flashy when you've got a defense that's that capable and can keep the other team off the scoreboard. We talked about their pressure, but another eight sacks as well. And it was sacked by committee. It's not one individual. They seem to have sacks across the board. Bo goes 22 of 32 for 270 yards for the Stampeders, one touchdown. Michael Riley, 13 of 25 for 145. I can't remember the last time he came up with those kind of numbers. Two INTs, of course, one went back to the house. Nathan Rourke, 11 of 17 for 115. BC had a huge homestand that they have now completed and came away with virtually nothing. One and three, if I remember correctly. Is that the record from this four-game homestand? Yeah. They beat Ottawa, and that was it. You, They did nothing against the West, and that was their chance. They had all these extra home dates against Western opponents. They're really, really in big trouble because they've lost the season series to Calgary and to Saskatchewan. And I think that game against Saskatchewan where they kind of let it get away at the end was certainly a key there from that point. They just have not seemed to recover any bravado or been able to really bring their A game. And, and the coach even spoke out to that, just saying we, we, they lacked energy in this game. And not that it's probably going to matter, but they're very close to losing the season series to Winnipeg as well. They lost the previous game by 21 points. So in order to win a season series, they're going to have to go into Winnipeg and win by three touchdowns. Yeah, good luck. That's, that's a very tough task, staring them in the face this week as well. Breaking news relative to our podcast. We've just learned that the Canadian Football League has made a decision regarding unvaccinated players in the 21 postseason. And the CFL has decided that players who can't travel with their teams to the East or West Division Finals because of the federal vaccine travel mandate will not be allowed to play. The suspended list and not paid. And this only affects games after November 30th. I'm kind of with the CFL on this one. Hey, you've known for a long time what the requirements are. This is kind of last chance for any of those unvaccinated players. They've got until November 30th. Should give them time, if they so choose, to continue to collect paychecks to go out there and get that vaccine status up to full in time for the playoffs. And if you're refusing, I think you'll see teams that, that start to move on from some of these players as well. You've, how many opportunities do you need to do the right thing before a team says, okay, we've had enough? And it's happening throughout lots of public service and restaurants and other places as well. So I don't see why the CFL should be different in this case. In fact, I applaud them for making the move. Especially considering how hard they've worked with provincial governments to get capacity crowds in the stands. One of the glaring issues in my mind is to go watch these teams play, you have to show full vaccine status in several provinces and cities. I think across the league now, every province and city. What kind of message is it sending that players and coaching staff and personnel don't need to have that same commitment to vaccinations as the fans do that are paying to go in and watch them? Coming up, we have a regular slate of games in the Canadian Football League. 
seems like every week we say this, a huge game in Montreal. The Alouettes and the Toronto Argonauts in a battle for first place. Toronto is a minus 1.0 favorite over under 49. And again, these odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them for that. We're giving you these odds as of Tuesday night. We know that the law firm, McLeod Bethel Thompson, is going to be the starter for Toronto. There are rumors, and I repeat, just rumors, that Nick Arbuckle's on the trade block. They're quite happy with Antonio Pipkin. If the Argos move away from Arbuckle, regardless, let's leave that for what it may. We know that the CFL trade deadline is October 27th. When we were going into this shortened season, we knew how important games within your division were going to be. And we are certainly seeing that here now. The West, you've got second, third, and fourth place separated by a couple of wins. In the East, you've got first, second, and third separated by a couple of wins. You can't afford to go on a two or three game slide. Look at how Montreal, a three game win streak, has got them a little bit now ahead of Hamilton and really breathing down Toronto's neck. So this game, if it goes Montreal's way, really kind of flips that East Division standings. And here we go down the stretch. And Montreal has played very well away from home, not so well at home. So it'll be interesting to see this game, how they can come out. If they have any hope of finishing first, I think this is an extremely crucial game for Montreal. The season series, relatively speaking, is up for grabs. If Montreal wins by four or more, they win the seasonal series outright. They lost to the Argonauts 30-27 to on the 24th of September. They only meet twice this year, so this is it. If you're going to win the series, you have to do it Friday night if you're the Montreal Alouettes or the Toronto Argonauts. If Toronto wins this football game, they will now be two games ahead of the Alouettes and going into the weekend, three games ahead of the Tiger Cat. Yeah, that's a huge jump for the Toronto Argonauts if they can win this game and really kind of get a stranglehold on that East Division. And I think this week, coming up against a quarterback like Matthew Schultz, this is an opportunity for Jones and the defense to really scheme out something that's going to either show that they have it or or we'll see Montreal rise to the next level. And I think this is a great opportunity for Toronto. I think if I'm picking, I think they're going to cover and probably take this game. But it remains to be seen if Schultz can come out and Montreal schemes well. They've got some weapons, even with stand back out. Uh, Artis Payne, I think, has done well. He needs to secure the ball. Last week, he had a bit of difficulty there, but if he can do that, Montreal still has a chance. At the end of the day, though, I think this is Toronto's due to the defense. I tend to agree with that, Pat, on this one. I'm saying that Toronto's going to win outright in this one as well. 49 points. The bookmakers are expecting some offense in this one. I don't think we go over. I think I'm going to take the under on 49 points on this one. My gut feeling is that Toronto deserves to be the favorite coming into this. My big question is, which McLeod Bethel Thompson are we going to see? The one that played the first half against Hamilton or the one that played the second half against Hamilton? If we get the second half, Bethel Thompson, watch out. Saturday, early game. Ottawa is in Hamilton. Ottawa is plus 14.5. Ouch. Tiger Cats are favored by over two touchdowns. 
Jeremiah Mazzoli will be the starter. Caleb Evans will be the starter for Ottawa. I don't think 14.5 is unreasonable in this case. With Ottawa's offensive line, uh, we saw Caleb Evans get sacked multiple times and, and be hurried a lot of times. And I think Hamilton uh, has an outstanding defense. So can they get more than 10 sacks that we saw last week? I'm not sure. But I think they're definitely going to keep pressure on him all, all game long. And in this case, I think Hamilton should be able to cover it. I think in this case, though, I think there could be more points because I, I have seen some good things out of Ottawa. Yes, they're without Deadman. He's the one who can flip the field. But every now and then, Ottawa seems to have one of the receivers come out and have a great game. And the last couple of games, they've been kind of average because of the pressure on them. So if they can move Caleb Evans around out of the pocket and he has the opportunity and time to throw, he may be able to get either RJ Harris or or Ryan Davis going in this game. 14 and a half points seems like a huge spread to me for a, a game where the teams are separated by two wins in the standings. That being said, Ottawa has not shown very well over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to say that Ottawa beats the 14 and a half point spread. Hamilton does win this game, and I'm going to take the over of the 41 and a half. Really comes down to how Mark Washington wants to scheme his defense against Ottawa. My sense of it is he's going to try to do what Montreal did, and that is pressure, 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 and force Evans into mistakes. Given that, I think Ottawa is in big trouble. Hamilton right now is on the bottom of the playoff picture looking up. They don't want to be there anymore. They know they're going to gain on somebody between the Montreal-Toronto game. They just don't know who yet. They've got to beat Ottawa, and I think they're going to make this a statement game given they lost the last two at home. Hamilton will take this one and cover. The next game up in the uh, trifecta, the British Columbia Lions are in Winnipeg. Take on the Blue Bombers, the 9-1 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. BC is plus 11.5. Winnipeg has to show that if they're going to be dominant the rest of the way, this is kind of one of those games where they have to make that statement at home. The temperatures are going to be cooler in Winnipeg. I think the high is supposed to be plus 8. With a win this week, Winnipeg can clinch first place overall in the West, and I think they will do that. And So I think we'll still see the starters out in this game. I don't think it's time to quite rest everyone at this point. I think they should be able to take and cover that 11.5 as well. Uh, I definitely will take Winnipeg for this one. When you look at what has happened with the BC Lions over their four-game homestand, going one and, one and three was a disaster, and I had expected... BC to be a lot stronger in the standings than they are at this point in the season. They're without Lucky Whitehead. They're without a running game. They're going up against that Winnipeg defense that lit them up last time they met, and I don't see things changing much this time around. Um, it's an opportunity for Winnipeg's offense to get back on track. I haven't heard the status of Demarcus Hardwick yet, but if he is back in the lineup, regardless of whether it's Harris or Brady Oliveira, Winnipeg takes this one covers the 11 and a half and I think 42 point over under at this point I'm leaning towards the over I agree with Don that this is a statement game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and it's time for that offense to wake up as well in week nine the Blue Bombers went into Vancouver and beat the Lions 30 to 9 in the final game Saturday night the Saskatchewan Rough Riders return to action and take on the streaking Calgary Stampeders, the Stampeders who have won three in a row, have vaulted themselves in a tie for second place in the West by percentage points. They're right now in third. 
winner of this game will be at six wins and in second place. Saskatchewan is going to have Shaq Evans in the lineup and Duke Williams. Saskatchewan is minus 0.5 favorite with an over under of 44 in this game. Yeah, having Duke Evans step forward, I think, uh, may address some of Cody Fajardo's outburst in the one game that he didn't have a receiver to throw long to because right now you're bringing two quality receivers into the game and I think that does bode well for Saskatchewan but having said that Calgary has been on a real tear lately when I look at the over under 0.5 Saskatchewan I don't think that that's going to happen here in Calgary it's kind of been like walking into Death Valley for the riders I think in this case Calgary should be able to cover that easily I think Calgary is going to take this game and we'll see some teeth gnashing come out of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Ryderville. An interesting stat, we've talked about Calgary's slow start to the season, but if you look at their games within the West Division, Calgary is now sitting at four wins and three losses, and Saskatchewan is at two wins, four losses. So it's hard to believe the way that the season started, that at this point you would have Saskatchewan now two games under 500 against West opponents. We know the difficulties that they have playing in Calgary. I'm leaning Calgary on this one as well. I know it's it's hard. Again, we talk about winning a season series or sweeping a season series against a team. And Calgary got the last two. But at this point, I think with the way they've been playing lately, they get this third consecutive win against the Riders. The one thing that impressed me about Bo Levi Mitchell from the British Columbia game There was a point in the game where he threw a ball into the end zone and there was no receiver there. Now he had Markeith Ambles and he had Herge Mayala in the area. And Mitchell was furious and went right down to the receivers. Somebody gave up on a route or missed an assignment. That's the fire that Mitchell brings to a game. Mitchell hasn't thrown for 300, but he hasn't had to in these wins. The defense has played very well. Saskatchewan is in tough. From a 3-0 start, they have stumbled and bumbled to the point now where if they lose in Calgary on Saturday, I don't think they have designs on a home playoff date. I don't disagree with you, Don. I think this one is going to be a case if Saskatchewan comes out flat and loses this game. Uh, I think they're just trying to hold on to third. BC still has opportunities if they can pull something together. Like them or not, Stephen McAdoo knew how to get the ball into the end zone. And there's been a struggle in this iteration of the team to get the ball into the end zone in 2021. I think this team is also extremely limited in the fact that it does not have a strong offensive line. I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record with many of these teams, but all these teams that are struggling are struggling due to the fact that their offensive line isn't giving their quarterback time to make the throws. In 2019, Saskatchewan's offensive line gave Cody Fajardo time to go through progressions, make reads, and make throws. This year, it seems like Jason Moss's offense is designed for those short hitters, and I think it's solely on the fact that the offensive line is not able to protect Cody Fajardo to allow him to make more of those medium to long throws. They picked up Trey Roberson to play defensive secondary for them this week what a huge get an all-star is back in the fold as I mentioned earlier we're really starting to see teams key on some areas that they need improvements on to get ready for this playoff push and getting Roberson in the lineup for Calgary bodes well for them and it's uh, might be a case of the rich getting richer we've complimented that defense for Calgary and now they're adding another all-star piece to uh, really solidify that defense for the rest of the year. 
I'm looking at Calgary to win this game. I, I just don't see what's changed enough. Even with Duke Williams being added to the roster, I don't know that he's going to be the Duke Williams that was an all-star a few years ago. And if he's not in CFL game shape, and that's a big difference between NFL game shape and CFL game shape, that Calgary defense is getting better and better and better. I looked at Calgary to, to win this game. Updating the podcast Pick'em Tracker this week, D13 continues to hold on to the lead, one point ahead of Anilio Estevez, and the podcast's own Don Charavin now moved up to third place with 63 points. Uh, interesting note that Don, Pat, and I are separated by two points total, Don at 63, Pat at 62, and myself at 61, so a good week or bad week one way or the other, and there's bragging rights on the board. third down let's get right into our fantasy picks for week 12 pat start with your quarterback and your running back please i am taking mazzoli for ten thousand one hundred dollars as my quarterback against ottawa i think that's a good bet and i'm also taking artist Payne, montreal's running back 3900 heath i had a really tough time on quarterbacks this week i wasn't really feeling too confident about anybody but i'm going with Bo Levi Mitchell from the Calgary Stampeders at 9,700. And I'm with Pat on this one. Cameron Artis Payne for 3,900 was too good to pass up as the running back. I'm going to Calgary with Bo Levi Mitchell, and I'm staying with Calgary at running back Kadeem Carey, 8,900 for him. Pat, your receivers, please. I have Keen Schaefer Baker at 4,800. I think he's going to be a target for Fajardo this week. And I've got touchdown Jake. It's kind of hard to move away from him, but I have Jake Wynicki at uh, $8,500 for Montreal. Heath. Yeah, I'm kind of mirroring Pat a little bit on some picks. So hopefully we've got some different ones down the line. But touchdown Jake Wynicki is a must have for me as well at 8,500 for the Montreal Alouettes. And I think coming off one of his best games of the season, Jalen Ackland for the Hamilton Tiger Cats at 7,500. I'm going with Ricky Collins Jr. of the Argonauts, 8,000 from Winnipeg. Kenny Lawler Jr. at 7,300. Flex, Pat. I almost took Ackland, but I ended up moving over to the other Hamilton receiver in Addison as my first flex at 9,500. And then I have Kenny Lawler Jr. at 7,300 as my other flex. Heat. I couldn't quite afford to squeeze Kenny Lawler in, so I've gone... Another receiver on Winnipeg, Rashid Bailey for 6400 And from the Toronto Argonauts, Ricky Collins Jr. at 8000 I'm hanging in with the Dembski train, going with Nick Dembski of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 7600 And I'm taking a reach here, receiver Luther Hakavananu, 3600 Calgary Stampeders. Defense, Pat. In this case, I'm going with uh, Hamilton playing Ottawa. I'm hoping they can mirror the 10 sacks Ottawa gave up last week, and uh, hopefully that's a good price, 5700 Heath. I saved up to reload once again on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense. They didn't come through last week as the most expensive defense, but I think they get back on track this week. Desperate times require desperate measures. I took the Calgary Stampeders defense on Saturday night, 4,700. Last thoughts, gentlemen. We're getting down to crunch time here. We're four or five games left for everybody now. That playoff picture is going to look a lot more clear after this Friday night and the Saturday triple header. We keep saying every week that these are big games. And once again, we've got some great big games this week. And I'm looking forward in particular to uh, the first game of the week where we can see who's going to pull out in the East and the last game of the week where we're going to see 
who in the West is going to be solidifying the race towards second place. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.